Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verses 9 to 12 uh, this morning. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, uh, with hearts that are thankful. Lord, as we lifted our hearts in worship to you this morning, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. As we have this communion table set up this morning to remember what you have done, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak your truth into our hearts. Lord, that we would mature in our relationship with you. And Lord, that you would do a great work in this church. Lord, that you would use this church. I pray for this, this youth event, Lord, this youth uh, uh, that are going to be going on this love uh, life walk, Lord, that you would draw out many, that they would make a stand, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that we would get behind the youth in this church, Lord, and Lord, send them out the door, send them on, because these are important issues. And Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Enduring Temptations bring, Brings a Promise. Last week we looked at trials. We looked at the testing of your faith. We looked at verses 2 to 8 last week, but today we're going to see that trials and testings of our faith, they're going to end with a promise. And I like promises. I think we all do. A promise from God is sure. It's something that we can count on. And so, as I said last week, the theme that I have given to this book of James for our church for this time is that we would move on to maturity. And one of those areas of maturity is our understanding of how trials can be for our good. How trials and tribulations of life can work for our good. Look at your Bibles at James uh, chapter 1, verse 1. I want to look at this again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. The early church, which was less than 20 years old at the time, was under great persecution. They were under trial. They were being tested in their faith. The Jewish Christians who had been scattered outside of Israel, they were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they were suffering for their faith. They were suffering at the hands of the Romans, and they were suffering at the hands of even their own countrymen, their fellow Jews. Many of them were unable to work. 
Many of them were finding it difficult because of their following of Christ to even find work and the means for an income. But God is faithful. And He always is, isn't He? Have you ever found yourself in that time of need and then God comes through? God always does. We read in the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 45, that the early church, they rose up to the occasion. They rose up when things began to get tough within the church. We're told that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We see God using the church, using those that have the means to meet the need of those that didn't. That's how the body of Christ should function. We also read in Acts 4.35, it says from time to time, and that's worthy of noting, it's not all the time, but from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and put it in at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again, the body of Christ meeting the needs of those that were in great need, those that were being tested in their faith, those that were wanting to trust God, that God would supply their substance. And you know what? God did that. Remember, I shared that this letter of James has been likened to Jesus' teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the longest sermons that's recorded in Scripture. We read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, where Jesus said, Blessed, or we might say happy are you when they revile and persecute you, And when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Has that happened to you recently? Has that happened to you ever? Where somebody would know that you're a Christian, hear what you have to say, see the stance that you make, and make a derogatory statement against you. I think if we stand up for Christ, these youth, these adults that are going to go and make this walk with love life. It's making a stand for what we believe is truth. And many times if we'll make those stands, we will suffer for righteousness' sake. Jesus went on to tell His disciples, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It doesn't sound like we should. But Jesus says that we should rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I shared last week that it appears that James, when he was writing this letter, he knew that there were fellow Christians that were poor 
and that we're being oppressed by the rich. The early church, like today, had many that were poor within it. But it also had those that were rich. And it seems like a natural thing that James, under the circumstances, would need to address this issue of trials and tribulations within the early church. He wanted, like a pastor, to encourage them to persevere in their trials. And not just to persevere, but to do it with great joy. That's the difference. To do it with great joy, knowing that their tested faith was going to produce something good. It was going to bring about endurance. And it was going to end with a future promise that we can all hang upon. I think we all wish, as Christians, that there was an easier way. Would you agree? Do you like the course of trials and tribulations of life, the hardships of life, all the things that come out? Don't you wish there was an easier way to get to the end? For my growth, for my maturity, And God chose trials and tribulations of life to do that work in us. I don't know if I would have picked that way, but God chose that way to do that work. Look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Do you know that truth? Do you know that God is working patience and endurance in your life? Do you know that God is using trials and tribulations to test your faith? Do you know that God is doing all of these things for your good? That in the end, that he would perfect something in you. That in the end, that you would be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. And he's using trials to do it. We learned last week that God wants to grow us in our trials. He wants to mature us in it. And I wonder how many of us this last week fell into some diverse temptations or trials. Anybody? I think I did. I don't know about you, but I think we all have almost daily trials and tribulations that make their way to us. God's testing our faith. He's building your endurance. He's building that character in your life as a Christian. Paul really said the same thing in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. He says that as Christians, those that have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we can glory in tribulations. We can know that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance character, 
and character leads to hope. Paul understood that trials and tribulations were part of following Christ. You see, God ultimately wants to perfect and complete us. He wants to do a complete work in you. He wants to bring us to that place of maturity in our life. He wants us not to be babies anymore, but to grow up. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. James says, if you're lacking wisdom in this area of trials, tribulations of life, if you're finding yourself lacking wisdom in these times, lacking an understanding of even why you find yourself in the midst of trials and tribulations. Some Christians have not even matured and grown to understand that God allows them to come my way. Then James says, we need to ask God. It's that simple. We need to go to God in prayer and we need to ask him for wisdom. God, would you give me wisdom and understanding so that I might know why you have, are allowing trials and tribulations in my life. And we're told that he wants to give his wisdom to you liberally, without reproach. He wants to shower his wisdom upon you. But quite often we don't ask. Quite often we don't go before the Lord. We just kind of get into the middle of the trial and we're not quite sure how to work our way through it. Where we should be going to our knees and saying, God, would you give me wisdom that I might go through this trial in such a way that it might glorify you in the end. That I wouldn't doubt you and that I wouldn't question your work, that your hand is upon me. God, would you give me the wisdom to know what to do in the midst of this trial. We're going to continue today with this thought of having joy in trials. James is going to give us an example this morning, but he's also going to give us a promise that I believe is connected to verses 2 to 8. Remember, that a faith that is never tested will never be a strong faith. A faith that is never tested or tested a little will never be a strong faith. It's the way in which God has chosen to grow and to test our faith. Those that have been tempered through the fiery trials of life 
we quite often read about them in books. We, we, we see their testimonies. And quite often we're in awe of how they were able to endure such trials and difficulties in life. But in the end, those saints, they're stronger in their faith. They, God has matured them through trials and testings of life. Their endurance and their character and the hope that they have in Christ, it grows in the midst of it. So what am I saying with all that? In other words, we shouldn't always try to run away from life's problems. We should simply sit back and say, God, I found myself in the midst of it. Lord, what would you have me to do? Would you give me wisdom in the midst of my trial? Would you show me what to do? God, would you work something in me through it? I have no way of getting out of it. It's here, but I'm trusting God that you're working something in me. I think all of us that are here today after last week's message, if you went into a trial and you didn't go into it differently, then you're probably not listening. You see, there is a mode in which we should handle trials. We should look as they come. We don't know what's going to happen today, do we? We could leave this place today and find ourselves falling into the midst of a trial. It happens like that, and there we are. And what do we do with them? That's what's important. Look what it says in, in verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's our text. The first thing we see in James in verse 9 is James giving a contrast between the lowly brother and the rich man. In the book of Proverbs, remember I shared that the book of James, uh, some have likened it to the book of Proverbs, so I have a few that I have pulled from that. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says, The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Also notice that James says, The lowly brother can glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. And it, to me it sounds very similar to what James said to us in verse 2. 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You see, joy and glory are two things a Christian can have even in the most trying circumstances of life. You can have joy. And you see, that's where the victory is. When we can have joy, when we can have this calm, this assurance in the midst of our trials and tribulations of life, we're going through it victoriously. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that we don't cry out. It doesn't mean that we don't experience pain in life. But it does mean that we can go through it with a satisfaction that we have a joy in our heart, that God is with me, God is walking with me in it. Joy and glory for us as Christians. The lowly or the poor brother glories in his exaltation and is lifted up. He glories in it. And he's lifted up. The rich man is humbled and brought low in humiliation. But both of them can rejoice in their trial. Whether you're rich or poor. You see, God works with both. God has raised up those and allowed some to be poor and some to be rich. In the book of Proverbs again, in chapter 13, verse 7, there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. There's some pearls of wisdom for us. These things are quite often determined in your heart. You see, the heart is the central issue here when it comes to being poor or being rich. The things we chase after in life are the things we don't care. It all has to do with our heart. Again, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, verse 19, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where, and this is key, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? And where's our heart? You see, it's all a matter of perspective. It's where our heart is. You see, being rich or having riches in this life is not the issue. That, that's not the thing that bothers the Lord if you are poor or whether you are rich. It's when riches have you that's the problem. It's when riches have your hearts. 
It's when we get up every day out of bed and our only desire in life is to make more money, to accumulate more things, to get ahead in life. That's what drives my heart every single day. It's a heart issue. It's when our heart is consumed with self that God is concerned with. It's when a person is trusting in the things that he has and the bank account that he has more than trusting God. It's when we're living for stuff, for things, for material goods that really have no eternal value at all. We won't take any any of it with us into eternity. It's all going to burn. It's all going to go away. Yet quite often, a heart that is set on riches, it strives day in and day out to get ahead. In Proverbs again, in chapter 18, verse 11, it says that the rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own esteem. His wealth is like a strong city. Like a high wall. And you know, I think that all of us could ask ourselves the question. How much confidence do we put, if I could put it this simply, in our bank account? How many of us are trusting in that bank account more than we put our trust in the Lord? And I think that if we were all real honest with ourselves, you see, some of us would be happy to have a savings account, even if it had no money in it. And others wouldn't feel comfortable if their savings account dropped below $10,000. It's all a perspective that we have. It's what we put our trust in. Is my trust in the Lord or is my trust in the bank account and the things that I possess, the things that will hold me? And when those things are stripped away, when those things are removed, when that 401k drops, when we lose what we thought we had, that's when we really find out what our trust was in. Some of us have found ourselves being workaholics. We strive. We work and we chalk it off and say, you know what, hey, I'm just doing it under the Lord. Proverbs 23.4 says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. And then it says, Cease. Proverbs 28.6 Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one, than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. I think these are words of wisdom for all of us. Look at your Bibles at verse 9 again. 
Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Some have seen these verses that we're in this morning as a whole new subject to what we looked at last week. That it's a whole new subject and others see it, and this is kind of where I lean, as an example of those in trial. To struggle with the trial of having very little and the struggle and the trial of having much. What I see in both of these, the poor and the rich, is that both of them have their struggles. You can struggle when you're poor and you can struggle when you're you're rich. And it all has to do, and it comes back to that again, it all has to do with having the right perspective. The poor in trial is able to rejoice and glory in the fact that they're rich in Christ. (laughs) I mean, what more could we ask for? It doesn't matter if you don't have a bank account, savings account. It doesn't matter if you own a home and you have very little. Look what you have in Christ. Look what you have as a a child of God. And in that we can rejoice. In that we can have glory in 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 exaltation. We can glory in the fact of who we are in Christ. I'm rich in Christ. And then the rich, they can be reminded that they dare not put their trust in riches. They dare not put their trust over God in their bank account. One commentator wrote this, as the poor brother forgets all his earthly poverty, So the rich brother forgets all his earthly riches. By faith in Christ, the two are equals. You see, God doesn't care if you're rich or poor. That's not the issue. It's the issue of the heart that God's concerned with. For the poor brother, he might forget his poverty because he's overwhelmed with what God has done in him and his life. Look what God has given me. I am rich in Christ. And then the rich man, he might, by God's grace, forget all of his earthly riches. They mean nothing to me next to Christ. They, none of these things have any, anything next to my knowing Christ. We should know that being rich has no bearing upon whether a person is saved or not. We should also know that being rich or poor, educated or uneducated, has no bearing on a person's spirituality. 
doesn't make you more mature because you have a lot. It doesn't make you more mature in Christ because you have a college education. Some of the smartest minds in the world, when it, they give their life to Christ, they are babies in Christ. They still have to grow. We should know that being rich Having much has its own set of problems that come along with it. To be rich, he makes you more accountable to the things of God. You're accountable to God with what you have. God doesn't make rich people just so that we can consume it upon ourselves. He makes us rich or he allows some to be rich for the purpose of blessing others and God using what's His to bless others. You see, the lowly in Christ, who is able to count it all joy, no matter what the circumstances are, He might bring and can bring all of that and say, there's glory and exaltation. I know what's coming. I know that someday when I stand before the Lord, it's all going to be worth it. I'm not striving in this life to be rich. I'm not making that my aim and my goal. And in that, they're lifted up. God lifts up even the poor. The lowly brother, the Christian in humble circumstances, has every reason to glory in his relationship with Christ. If you're here and you struggle at the financial level, and maybe sometimes we even wonder, why is it that some Christians struggle and then others just seem to have it all? And sometimes that even bothers us. And it shouldn't. Because God has allotted it. God's allowed it. But you see, it all has to do with our heart. It has to do with what we do with it. I wrote, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation of who he is in Christ. God exalts and sets on high those who are lowly. He remembers our lowly state. He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. Like our Lord who was lowly in heart, who came as King lowly and sitting on a donkey, who puts down the mighty from their thrones, and exalts the lowly. The one who will transform our lowly body to His glorious body. James says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. We have our Lord Himself who came into this world lowly 
The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. He came by and led by example. James writes later in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? James, on a number of occasions as we go through this letter, is going to be addressing the issue of the rich and the poor. You see, the rich should always be able to rejoice when trials come upon them. Just like the poor. The the rich should also be able to rejoice when trials come their way. Why? Because it brings them down in humility. It brings them down to a place of dependence once again upon the Lord. Lord, you got my attention. I was striving for this. My goal and aim was to be rich. I made every effort towards it. And then you allowed the trial to come into my life. It humbled me. It brought me to a place that lowered me down in humility before you. But like the poor who struggles, the rich also struggle. And so we look at count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. James goes on in verse 11 telling us that the rich man and his pursuits are fleeting. Remember that our pursuits in life are not always God's pursuits. Though many times we think they are. Important to know that our pursuits in life, the things that drive us each and every day, are not always God's pursuits. God's not always behind your pursuit. We need to find out what does God want me to pursue in life? What does He want from me to chase after in life? Because many times they're not His pursuits. Look what He says in verse 11. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, or we might say with a hot wind, Then it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. The things that he strives towards. It's a warning, isn't it? And and really, it, it should capture the heart of somebody that is pursuing things, but not knowing if it's God's pursuits. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Other translations read that he will fade away in his own ways. 
He will fade away in His course of life. He will fade away with all of His achievements. He will fade away while they go about their own business. You see, my business should be God's business. When we're trying to do our own business and our own pursuits, that's how frail we are. It's like the hot wind that blows upon the beautiful grass and the flowers, and they're just, they're just, you know, and it's gone. James may have been thinking as he wrote verse 11 about Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. It reads this way The voice said, Cry out to Isaiah. And he said, What shall I cry? And he says, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. James also gives another warning to the rich in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days." I think we need to heed God's Word. Take heed to the Word of God about the things that we would pursue in life. But then James closes, I believe, this section on joy and trials with a promise. Look at verse 12. Blessed or happy or joyous is the man who endures temptation the one who perseveres in temptation, the one who is tested in trials. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The promise. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to His disciples when He was teaching them about prayer, He said in chapter 6, verse 13, He says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's how Jesus ended His instruction on prayer. And do not lead us into temptation. I don't pray those things to come my way. I don't ask God for trials and tribulations in life. As a matter of fact, Lord, keep me from it. 
keep my family from it. God, put your protective hand upon my family. Bring those things before the Lord. But deliver us from the evil one. You see, none of us like trials. We don't like tribulation, trials and difficulties. But we can know this as a Christian, as a child of God, that you can rejoice. You can have joy in the midst of it. And that full work of God is not going to be fully realized, fully seen until the day you're in His presence. In that day, you're going to see and you'll be able to, I don't know if we'll be able to look back on all this, and be able, but we're going to see, look what God did. I have a memory verse for you for the week. You ready? 1 Corinthians 10.13. Anyone have it memorized? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got a few. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man. But God is faithful. If you have your Bible open, I, I would suggest if you're memorizing this one, you might want to mark it down, underline it, and then I would say, underline these three words. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No temptation has overtaken you. If I quoted it to you and you were looking at the screen, you think, you're not quoting it the way it reads on the screen because I have it memorized in Old King James. There is no temptation overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation is able to make a way of escape that you are able to endure it. I think that that's a great verse to have at your disposal. That my God is faithful in the midst of my trials and temptations of life. He's faithful, and He's not going to allow me to be tempted above that which I, uh, that I'm able, but He will make the way of escape. And for each trial and tribulation that we endure in life, each temptation that comes our way, whether that be from the outside or from the inside, God is able to make a way of escape. And that should be our prayer. God, would you give me the way of escape? Would you give me the victory in this? Second Peter 2.9 Peter writes, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. 
How many times could you give testimony of how God made a way of escape for you? He gave you the way out. He showed you in all of it that he was with you. He delivered you. And then I'd like to close with a couple of thoughts. One of them is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Remember what church that is? Revelation 2.10, the church at Smyrna. The persecuted church. The church that was under great trial and persecution for their faith. Just like what we're reading about here in, in James chapter 1, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations in life. And then we read the promise that was given to the church at Smyrna in their persecution and in their trials and suffering. He says, and this is Jesus telling them this, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Wow. I mean, what kind of trial was that? Some of you are gonna be thrown into prison. You're gonna be tested. This church was under great persecution. But be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Peter, or James again says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What a promise. Is that enough for you? Is that enough to carry you through this life with everything that it could throw your way? That in the end, it's all going to be worth it. God is going to give us the crown of life to everyone that loves him, everyone that's a child of God, and we're going to go into the presence of the Lord and all of this life that we've lived with all of its trials and difficulties, God has done a work in us. God is maturing us. God is work, working in us. Are you counting it all joy today? Whatever you have on your plate before you today, are you counting it all joy? Are you rejoicing in whatever trial or circumstance that you might be in right now? Are you still able to lift up praise and thanksgiving to the Lord and just rejoice in who I am in Christ? Everything else, <laughs> and things are tough right now. It's difficult. I'm actually in some physical pain this morning, but I'm able to rejoice in you, Lord. Are you confident this morning that 
God is using the trials in your life to grow your faith? Are you sure of that? That whatever is coming your way, that He is growing your faith in it? Your faith is being tested and you're growing in it. Are you assured of the promise of Romans 8.28? And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are the called according to His purpose. Are you assured of that promise? That all things work together for the good? Doesn't mean that every situation is good, but all things work together for the good, for your good. I think one of the best things we can do when we find ourselves in the middle of a testing in life is to begin to worship the Lord. Open up the Word of God and read in the Word of God. Let Him minister to your heart from go to prayer. God, give me wisdom. You know, just approach these things in a way that, God, would you give me joy in the midst of this? God, would you keep me in a place that, Lord, I'm not bitter towards you. I'm, I know that you're working something good in me. I trust you, God. And I think if we can begin to mature in that way, I think that we'll begin to look at life situations quite differently. We're going to have communion this morning. We're going to have uh, the ushers come up. We read in the book of Philippians, if you want to look there, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, we read about Jesus the humble servant. It says in chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Listen, this is Jesus. He made himself of no reputation. Taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and given Jesus the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of the things in heaven and the things on earth and the things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our Lord. We read in 2 Corinthians 8-9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, think about this, though Jesus was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. 
Isn't that wonderful? That you through his poverty might become rich. How rich are we all today? There's not any one of us here this morning that's not rich in Christ. You might not be rich in material goods, but you are rich in Christ. That's the best value for money right there. Rich in Christ. And so let's have uh, the ushers pass out the cup and the bread.